Welcome back to another episode of the Lead with Data podcast with myself, Rena Gami. In addition to being a podcast host, I also lead a business intelligence and data analytics recruitment practice. This is the podcast where I bring you some of the most talented data leaders who have contributed in significant uplift of BI and data analytics capabilities in some of the most progressive organizations across Australia. I want to share the stories of their careers, challenges they faced, and the reality of how the recent pandemic may or may not have impacted their roles and responsibilities in their current organizations. Here's where we get to learn what some of the professionals in this field are doing right now. In today's episode, I'm joined by Divian Govinda. Divian is the Chief Data and Analytics Strategy Officer at Recoveries Corp. He's responsible for overseeing the strategy around data and analytics and is and how it's used to effectively and efficiently engage with customers. He's got 20 years experience spanning from being an information analyst, progressing into data science and modeling roles, and then into management and executive positions. He's extremely passionate about turning data science and analytical findings into actionable insights and building and growing successful teams. In the episode today, we're going to cover off what are some of the challenges in a traditional industry like receivables management, customer communication and changing trends, and building building a team that can facilitate that journey and what you need to do. I really look forward to hearing about his experience um, and the things that we can take away from today's episode. Thank you, um, Divian, for joining me on the Lead with Data podcast. Um, Look, as I mentioned to you, look, I'm really keen to get to know a little bit more about your journey um, and, you know, some of the successes, some of the challenges that you've had. Um, And I know when we were chatting about coming onto the podcast, we were talking about a number of sort of different topics, but one of the ones was really around, um, you know, analytics and and how to drive change um, and things like that. So I guess um, first off, I'll probably get you to do a bit of an intro. So if you can give us an intro into yourself and um, maybe just a brief background of your career history. Sure, sure. Um, I'll start at the very beginning. I'm a South African by birth, so I lived on a sugar farm on the east coast of South Africa. So people often ask me, your accent's quite muzzled. <laughs> yes, I'm South African. Uh, I grew yeah. up on the English part of South Africa the, on the east coast. I moved to New Zealand as a teenager and, and spent about 15 years there. So I've got a kind of mixed South African, New Zealand and a little bit of Australian in there as well. So <laughs> Um, look, my, my career journey started off um, as a reporting analyst um, many, many years ago following a degree in statistics. Um, I kind of progressed from you know, being quite technical into um, a little bit more technical and then into management and senior management, but always in that kind of data analytics space with a little bit of strategy project management thrown in there as well. Um, I'm currently head of... Uh, Actually, no, title changed as of <laughs> a few weeks ago. Chief Data Analytics and Strategy Officer at Recovery School. Great. Excellent. Um, and in terms of, I guess, what you've um, you know, probably found re- recently over the last couple of years, because I know the environment of data has changed massively. I remember as we went into COVID, I was having so many conversations with, you know, people within the industry. Um, what did you find was the biggest change when um I suppose when we hit COVID to what it was before that. Yeah, look, for us um, in the debt collection industry, a key component of being successful is contacting customers. 
And we noticed, you know, coming through in the data and the reporting, a massive shift in customer behavior. So for the first time during those initial phases of COVID, you had a lot of people at home, right? Mm. And the traditional telephone call was starting to make a bit of a comeback. So people were answering their phones, maybe because, you know, this is a novel thing. I'm actually home during the day and I can answer the phone. Um, So we saw quite a bit of a shift there um, in terms of, you know, when we were interacting with customers that had changed as well because people were at home and, you know, taking their lunch breaks. Um, So we had to adjust a little bit there. It's kind of come off a a little bit now and you've gone um, towards the more digital as we'd seen before. But that that was very interesting and um, a little bit unexpected, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. And and it's interesting that you bring that up because even in my in the job that I do, I found it was I was able to call, you know, potential applicants with so much more ease than before, where I used to have to try and catch them before work, lunchtime or after work. Um, but then what was more difficult was trying to get hold of clients. So because yes. there was no one in offices anymore. So switchboard were just kind of sending emails. So um, yeah, it's interesting um, how, you know, things just changed literally sort of overnight. Um, But yeah, awesome. Um, And in terms of, I guess, your career, I know you've had a a pretty impressive career. Can you um, share with us a couple of um, your sort of career highlights and um, maybe a project that, that you believe has sort of shaped who you are now? Yeah, so I'll take you back to New Zealand. So one of my earlier roles, I was actually in a a customer modeling and insights role. So very technical role. And we had a new CEO come in and he brought together, you know, a few different people across the business in what he called our success hours um, project. So basically setting the future for the company. And that was my really first taste of, you know, real strategy play. I'd had bits and pieces here and there, but this was a pure strategy play and not something that was going to be achieved in, you know, two months or three months. This was a proper three to five year roadmap. Yeah. Um that really shaped me from a you know strategic thinking perspective, but also how to work with different individuals and think not so much as a you know a vertical team, but think horizontally across an organization. Yeah. Um, such good learning. Um, the experience itself was intense because you, you you're basically setting the roadmap for the entire organization. Yeah. And you know we had lots of late nights, lots of um, lots of fun times as well because it's rewarding when you're setting you know a big bold plan. And you you know hit those key milestones. It's it really taught me to you know celebrate success as well. When there's an intense environment, you have yeah. to have that balance. So that's that's something that I actively look to do. So that's probably the first one. Um, the next couple that I'll mention is the the current role that I'm in and yeah. the previous role that I'm that I that I was doing is just setting up a you know a data a proper data and analytics function. Mm-hmm. So I started what's now the Chief Data Analytics and Strategy Office with. Two people, so myself, oh, okay. a business analyst, and um, yeah, we had a project manager as well. And this, that's grown as we absorbed the different areas. We've formed our strategy. Um, you know, bringing people together for that collective good. Yes, I was involved in it initially, but you know, actually orchestrating it, actually being, um, you know, 
given that ownership and accountability to drive that forward. Yeah. That's uh, something I'm proud of, something that you know I'm consistently working on. And yeah, I think it's it's formed who I am today. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. And it's interesting because I think there's always these things that we sort of remember in our career or through our life where we go, you know, that was probably a moment that really changed or made me think differently about something, um, which obviously has such a huge significant impact on what we do and how we do things. So thank you for that. Um, I guess as your role, you know, as as chief um, analytics and strategy officer, what does a typical week look like for you? Like, just, just you know, just as, as a brief summary, well, like, what what is it that you sort of do just for the audience to, to sort of understand where you fit in? Because obviously there's, C, you know, CDOs, you have people across the technical stream, you know, so just give us a bit of an idea of yeah, a typical sure. week for Divian. Sure. Um, it's a bit of a cliche, but there is no typical week per se, but yeah. I like that structure <laughs> there, right? Yeah, sure. So, um, we are working towards a three-year strategic roadmap. Yeah. Um, that involves bringing data, bringing analytics together in a way that's you know easily accessible. There's confidence in the data, um, and that's that data and that analytics is used to drive customer contact and our overall you know digital strategy. So we, we're very clear, and we're very clear across not just my area but across the organization in terms of our you know future strategy. A typical week for me involves bringing together the leaders within my space. To say, okay, what are we going to achieve? In so we do it over a week. What are we going to achieve in this week that contributes to that overall strategy? And we will set, okay, here's the things that we want to achieve. And you know, it will be a a morning huddle to say, okay, how are we going? Are there any callouts? I try and bring the the broader team together on a twice weekly basis. Um, Yes, they've got their leaders in place, but it's good to have airtime as the executive, as the yeah. you know, the the chief in the area. It's good to give those people some airtime and let them air, you know, potential ideas for improvement or you know, things that have gone really well or things that you know they need some support on. Give them that forum. So um, typically, it involves, like I said, the upfront discussion. We have a couple of touch bases, and my leadership team. Um, within my area catch up typically on a Monday. I also have a lot of discussions across the organization. So the CIO, for example, the COO um, and our CEO, we, we catch up fortnightly. So that alternates, but the CIO and the COO in particular have a lot of airtime with myself. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for uh, giving us a bit of an overview. Um, now, as I mentioned earlier on, we, we talked about sort of, you know, driving change uh, within the data and analytics. Um, can you, I suppose, just talk us through sort of, you know, how you've driven change in that space and what are some of the challenges to, um, I suppose, in, in the traditional sort of industry of like receive, receivables or debt management, like talk us through some of those challenges and how you sort of driven that change. Yeah, you know, look, traditionally, it's a very, very, um, I'd say conventional industry where mm-hmm. you base your decisions on gut feel or what you've done previously. So to come in and say, okay, we're going to use some data or some analytics or some modeling to, to make those decisions mm-hmm. um, does, does take a bit of a mindset shift. And look, it's, it's about acknowledging that these people are where they are from an operational perspective because they have been successful. 
Yeah. The gut feel, the kind of experience has, you know, built that person, has led to them in implementing successful initiatives. Yeah. So the the challenges that you typically face are, you know, how do you convince someone who's the entire career relied on that gut feel, that instinct to get success, to say, hey, we'll give you a new tool, a new kind of weapon in your armory to help you drive that forward. Um, I think it's, for me, the thing that really is important is just building some confidence. So starting with a few little small use cases to say, hey, Let's try this out in a controlled environment. It's not going to change your entire operations. Yeah. Get those runs on the board. You know, then the the stakeholder that you're working with has a bit of confidence in what you're doing. Um, and fortunately for us in the data and analytics area, the data will speak for itself. If you have the numbers on the board, you've got a nice control group and you can show uplift, the numbers speak for themselves. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for me, it's all about getting the stakeholders on board Building confidence with a little bit of A/B testing or champion challenges, however you want to want to term it, and then just continuously adding and improving and tweaking. Yeah, excellent, excellent. And then leading on to that, because uh, you know one of the things that comes to mind is, you know, you when you're working with people who've been working in a more conventional way, and you know, and then you're trying to get them to sort of um, understand what you know the the power of data analytics are um, is is certainly a big part of it. But how do you ensure that the data that's there or that's going to be now coming in is a value and you know how important is that data in that entire journey yeah look for for me it's all about business outcomes as a data or an analytics function you're providing you know the basis for strategy that's going to lead to outcomes for the business so always define the problem. And I say this to my team, let's go and sit with our stakeholders and work out what are we trying to achieve? Yes, they're asking for a report or a dashboard or some modeling. But what are they trying to achieve? What's the end game? If you can understand that really well, it makes the conversation a lot easier. So um, understanding the end game, but then you know, taking them on... If I need to get to point X, mm-hmm. I need buy-in from you know resourcing perspective, yeah. or I need some time from a prioritization perspective. If you can lay that out, yeah, it makes things a lot easier. Excellent. And what else do you need to, um, I guess, overlay? I have to say, you have to overlay common sense. It goes without saying, <laughs> but you have to overlay common sense. Okay. Um, I'll give you an example. Actually, let yeah. me take you back to, to university days. Yeah. Right? So um, in statistics, there's kind of your Bayesian um, uh, statistics and there's your classical statistics, yeah. right? So I was in a, in a classroom and the lecturer was in the front and she came up to me with a deck of cards and she goes, right, here's a guy, he's got, when I had hair, black hair, <laughs> um, you know, he's dressed in black, Here's a deck of cards. What's he gonna What's he gonna pull out of the deck? Yeah. And everyone said, "Ah, oh, black card." No, it was red. And then she went around a whole row, yeah. and everyone picked red. And then she asked the question, "Right, so you've seen all of this in the classical statistics way of thinking? The probability of getting yeah. a red should be fifty fifty." Yeah. But then, having based all of that, if you are learning from it, the Bayesian statistics says. 
your probability starts to change as you learn from different events. So um, she asked, you've seen reds for the entire row. Is the next card going to be a red or a black? And a few people said, yeah, okay, it could be black. And she yeah. asked that a few times and eventually everyone went, no, the deck has to be all red cards. Mm, okay, yeah. So, yeah, for me, it's all, it's about, you know, you can have the theory, you can have the, I guess, the classical statistics, but it's about yeah. overlaying a bit of common sense. When we look at modeling, for example, we yeah. look at, okay, here's a custom, here's all their demographic characteristics, here's their, you know, type of debt, previous interactions, etc. We can model what the best channel is for that person. That's, yeah. That's possible. Yeah. But if you look at, they've told you on a previous communication, contact contact me via SMS. Yeah. Why would you send the email or the letter if the modeling says that? You have, yeah. to, have to overlay that common sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I think part of that is the education piece though, isn't it, as well, when you're working with people who perhaps don't understand that as well. So, you know, when you're working with um, stakeholders or, you know, people within the business, it's about sort of helping them to understand that. It builds trust. It builds credibility. If you can show you're not just, you know, sitting behind a, a screen, crunching out some numbers, yeah, or crunching absolutely. out some data. Yeah. It helps to show that you commercially, I guess, you commercially, what's the term? You, you're relatable. Yeah, Basically, yeah. You can turn yeah. your findings into something that makes sense in the real world. Exactly, because because you know, I mean, somebody like me who probably doesn't, you know, doesn't really understand, you know, the, those kind of metrics. If I was given a whole bunch of numbers, it wouldn't mean anything to me. Whereas if you sat there and kind of explained that and made me understand what they mean, you know, that would obviously transform how I, you know, how I look at that and how I read that as well. Whereas if you give me that, I've just got no idea. Absolutely. Um, or, or I'll go to the ones that are red, you know, and go, oh, my God, that's really bad, um, you know, and not really look at anything else. I'll just focus on some of the things that make sense to me but miss probably, you know, 80% of what's really important. Um, so, yeah, no, brilliant. Um, and we touched on this um, a little bit as well early on in terms of, you know, what's sort of changed. Um, but, com- you know, customer communication and, and sort of changing trends, what are you seeing recently in client activity and customer behavior, um, especially in, in the, the sector that you're in, you know, where, you know, they, they do sort of get called a lot and it's all about sort of collection of money. So, how, how, you know, how are you, what are you seeing currently? Yeah, look, obviously unprecedented times, right? So yeah. for clients and debt collection generally is a sensitive area. Yeah, absolutely. You're contacting customers who, you know, sometimes been through really tough times. Sometimes there's a there's a pure dispute on the matter going, mm-hmm. this is not me. Why are you saying I owe this money? Yeah. Or, you know, other times it's, I've just genuinely forgot. Yeah. So yeah. You have to treat treat the customer contact with, you know, almost hyper care. Um, and that's exacerbated by the whole COVID situation. So initially what we saw was clients being quite hesitant. Um, you know, they were almost holding on to customers that had entered, you know, into a debt or entered into hardship. Problem with that is you start letting this thing bank up and bank up. You're not allowing the customer to resolve their matter. Something we 
give as a debt collection company is, I guess, the the ease of resolution and um, I guess that sense of freedom. I've settled my matter. It's been resolved and now I can move on. Yeah. Um, initially, we saw customers holding on to the debt, not referring it to us or not you know, progressing with their standard collections activity. Um, that had quite a detrimental effect probably on the the customer themselves, but also on, you know, the, the future coll- collectability of that debt. We've seen that very swiftly change and a lot of clients have now gone, okay, um, we've adjusted, everyone's kind of comfortable. Yes, of course, we will be very um, careful around hardship and, you know, vulnerable customers and things like that. But a lot of it has now kind of um, returned to semi-normality. Yeah. Um, with a few slight, uh, I guess, differences due to where we are in terms of COVID. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and what about internally? Like how, what's the behaviours or changes been internally for, I guess, the staff and how they sort of managing that? Um... Yeah, look, we've gone from, we had... For example, in Melbourne, a nice office in the city where everyone would come in and, you know, you'd have that inter-team kind of bouncing of ideas. You'd have the team buzz, especially in a call center environment. That's that's quite important. COVID's essentially meant, you know, we've had a number of people working in a number of locations. And rather than the one call center, you've basically got a call center in everyone's house for the individual person on the phone or the operator that that's quite a challenge because yeah. where do i get my where do i get my buzz from yeah. <laughs> cuz i'm sitting by myself absolutely um, and for the leaders that's also a challenge cuz how do you remotely manage and how do you motivate virtually it, 100%. It's, it's 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 quite a challenge um something that's helped is our workforce management um both tools from a reporting perspective but also um, helping the agents plan and roster and schedule and things like that. So obviously, data plays a massive part in that. Yeah, and um, that's something that's that's sitting within my area at the moment to help you know use the data to have smart decisions. So have your people working at the best times to connect with the customer and provide the best service to the customer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, I think especially in that type of industry. And again, I'll sort of relate it back that hours, you know, there's a lot of highs and there's a lot of lows. Um, and so, you know, when you're lacking that sort of team, you know, environment, um, it, you know, it can be quite hard. And as leaders, as you said, you know, it's challenging because you you don't really know, you know, um, how, your, how your team's coping and are they being engaged or are they struggling? So, yeah, it's been interesting. Have you guys gone back to the office or are you guys still sort of majority of people are still wanting to work from home? What's the... The, so the plan is to get back into the office next yeah. month. Um, we wanted to just allow people this month, just you know, lots of people have kids and, you know, kids yeah. going back to school, just give them the month of February to kind of work things out. And we look in March to start returning to the office. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, pending the, yeah. the government and the legislation. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, brilliant. I know we went off uh, slightly there, but I but I guess I, I guess when sort of driving um, change, um, building a team obviously is a key component of that, and building a good solid team. Um, you know, talk us through what roles do you believe are important to facilitate that journey? Yeah, so our team and I've 
had a number of different iterations to get to where I am. So yeah. this is, um, again, qualified by a bit of experience. Yeah. I think it's important to have, you know, really strong um, analytic skill set on that data reporting front. You need the information to have integrity. The quality of the information needs to be there. So um, really important to have, you know, a either reporting analyst, data visualization expert, or an insights analyst in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a team led actually by our strategy analyst in that area because we want to turn the data and the reporting into an actionable strategy. So okay. we've got our strategy analyst kind right. of leading that, that function. Um, so that's kind of core. I do have the project management arm under me at the moment, so the PMO office. And within there, we've specifically gone out and hired a change analyst. Okay. Because of all the, you know, all the initiatives that we can put in from a you know new tech perspective or you know, try out smart scheduling and things like that. It has to be measurable and ideally communicated based on you know what the findings the find, are. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and we found that's working really well. New initiatives are getting so the change analyst not only, you know, drives that initial excitement and engagement, but also measures and quantifies based on on how we're going. We're finding that's working fantastically well. Yeah. We've also got um, a business analyst and a tester for new initiatives that you know we go out and get built and we want to spec it out really well, make sure we've got all the right components in place. And obviously we want to test before it gets released into production. Yeah. 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 Um, Those are kind of the core areas of obviously got a strategy and performance area. They look at, you know, day-to-day interactions with customers. They look at trends. They are constantly A-B testing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. This, This industry is all about, you know, test and learn as we move into new types of communications, new types of interactions yeah. have to test and learn. And probably the other area that I'd mention is I've got a design and um, content uh, person. So this person mm-hmm. focuses on what's the look and feel, what's the words that we're using um, when we speak to customers, almost like that behavior economics type um, slant to things. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. So I guess um, if, you know, if, you know, if other peers in, in the industry were looking to structure their teams um, in a, I suppose, just in a, in a nutshell, what do you think are the key things they should think about? So you touched a change, I think, is a, is a great one um, because quite often it's you and then you're passing that down and the team, everyone's sort of contributing that component. A part of their role is the change management, but actually having a role as a change analyst, I think, it completely changes it because like you said, there's so many things that they need to look at so that they can then share that with the business, share that with the stakeholders and they start seeing the value of what you're doing. They can actually provide tangible results on the things that you, the projects that you're rolling out. What would you say are the core things that, you know, should be part of a team? So, you know, obviously it's having somebody sort of championing and, and driving that change or sharing the, the success of that change. What, what other key components would you say? Yeah, we kind of touched on that a little bit. So having yeah. that reporting arm. The reporting, uh, yeah. Reporting is is key. You have to have data and, you know, quality data and that's yep. out there. Um, I think it's important to have the, the change and the project management sit yes. quite tightly together because... Yep. This change, and then there's also driving the 
the project itself. Yes. So those two need to sit interdependently. Yeah. Um, and for me, if you are in a data and analytics role that's driving customer contact, having the design, the correspondence kind of component um, quite, I guess, adequately resourced. Yes. If you want to be at the, you know, at the pinnacle of customer contact, you need Correct. someone to make it look and feel good. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. And that's sort of what I wanted is just kind of what are the absolute kind of core ones that you should have and, you know, things like that. Brilliant. And then what about from a personal attributes point of view? Because technical skills are one thing um, and, you know, give someone a use case and yes, they can go and do it. But what are the personal attributes that you believe are really important in this process? Yeah. So I can't emphasize enough that, so from a technical attributes perspective, I'd suggest if anyone's interested in this area or this kind of um, field, learn a programming language. It doesn't have to be any specific one, but learn a programming language because it teaches you how to think. It teaches you how to structure your queries. It kind of gets you thinking in a very logical, systematic way. So that's that's critical in any data role. You have to be able to synthesize the data and you know use the information to get an outcome and and the programming side of things is is really important i highly highly recommend presentation skills to anyone who's having to convince someone to do something yeah so um with modeling with um you know insights you can have you know tons and tons of different pieces of information how do you synthesize it down and how does it you know directly impact the end user it's all about you know communicating value yes we can do this and here's where i think it's going to help you and it's that you know what's in it for me all the time for the yeah. end user yeah yeah definitely definitely and i think a lot of those roles now um i mean yours are more certainly on the strategy and analytics side you know more of that insights piece but when you're looking at more of the technical roles the uh, the more developer engineering architecture was, I'm finding a lot of those roles are also now required to interact, obviously, with your teams, but also directly with the businesses as well. Um, so there's been a big shift, even from a hiring point of view, when clients are sort of coming to us because it's not the case that they're just in the back end now. Absolutely. I mean, we've, we're seeing that in our in-house development teams where rather than us saying, okay, here's what we want, go and build it. We say, yeah. here's the business problem or here's the data that supports this um, particular hypothesis. What would you recommend and how, you know, how can we achieve X as opposed to, okay, here's a, here's a spec, go and build it, please. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they're now being required to question you to make sure that you've thought about all the possibilities and then being able to create the best models or solutions or pipelines or whatever they're doing to ensure that you get the best out of the process that you're running. So absolutely. It's like that whole, you know, briefing and then reverse briefing. Yeah. Process. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. And and I'm certainly finding that a lot now. So it's interesting when you when you talk about that, because you know, and this is a, a, a sensitive topic, but we're getting people who say they want to work remotely, like from home, like, you know, I, I don't really need to go in because all I do is the the, the technical development. And, and it's interesting because I, I, I think that, you know, the, the market's changed a lot um, and that interaction and engagement with those two teams has become so much more important now. Um, 
you know, and, and I don't know if you guys found that, you know, or, or in organizations you've worked in before. It's very difficult to build things like the right culture completely virtually. It, it's really difficult. It's important to have connect days. Look, we, we have people working in other states and um, that's that's not something new. We've, we've had this even prior to, to COVID. Yeah. But what we really, really try and do is get the teams together in person quite periodically because if you're not connecting, you're not kind of face-to-face and you're not sharing ideas, yes, it, it's possible virtually, but every now and then it, it's important to have that face-to-face time. And I, I don't think there's any technical role where they can say 100% of the time my work can be in isolation. Yeah. There's always an impact on some other area in the business. And it's important to you know, think about what those, um, who those stakeholders are and what the implications of what the piece of work that I'm doing is going to bring to, to their space as well. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you for that. Um, I, I guess if we were to sum up this topic um, in, in regards to driving um, data and, and change, what would you say has been your biggest, I suppose your biggest sort of learning through the different ways you've tried to do that? If you were to think of one one thing, um, I think it's don't be afraid to acknowledge when things don't go to plan. Because mm-hmm. with data and analytics, the numbers can suggest something, and the data can suggest something. And you know, you you you're constantly testing hypotheses, you're constantly testing and learning A/B testing and things like that. There will be times when things don't go according to plan. <laughs> Rather than treat it as a you know a failure and come on come down really hard on yourself. Hard on yourself, yeah. Learn from it, move forward, and go. Okay, how would I you know attempt to do this the next time? Yeah, yeah, brilliant, awesome. And then if I were to ask you, sort of, what uh, would a you know if you can give us an example, perhaps of one of the or a couple of the most challenging things that you faced throughout your career. Um, Talk, talk us through that and how you sort of overcame that. Yeah, all right. So if we talk talk about um, this is moving countries. So I moved yeah. to from Auckland to to Melbourne for work. Didn't know anyone here. Didn't understand the culture, and I think it took a lot of getting used to because I went from a it was almost an internal data analytics role to an external consulting role. So mm-hmm. there was a change in country, there was a change in audience. Um, that took a lot of adapting from my perspective in terms of how I present and um, I guess how I elicit feedback from that different audience in a different country with a different yes. style. So massive, massive learning experience. Um, I initially found it quite challenging, but you know, like I said, it's... It's how you learn from the challenges and it, it makes you a better person. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, and obviously the industry is changing all the time. Um, where do you see the the industry going and heading? Yeah, look, there's specifically in the data science space, there's a lot of focus on moving to that, you know, purely unsupervised machine learning. Um, I've not seen anyone yet that's really there. A lot of people talk about it. And again, this is like, you know, the big sales pitch to say, oh, we've got these fantastic things. That's something I'm proud of as 
um, as a chief data and analytics yeah. and strategy officer, we definitely do not do that. When we speak to our, our clients or we speak um, at industry forums, et cetera, it's always, you know, it, it's the real deal. It's not a polished sales pitch. Yeah. Um, I think from a machine learning perspective, we'll start seeing that shift to get mm-hmm. towards that um, unsupervised learning space, but it will come in steps. I can see a lot of people are doing the supervised quite well. Um, the unsupervised, because it, there's so many unknowns mm-hmm. and um, a lot of the time when you're implementing something from kind of the data science realm, you need to explain it. And that's that's not there. That's that's a massive uh, mindset shift. But I, I see us moving towards that in, in the years to come. Yeah, yeah. And just, um, I suppose, uh, probably a little bit for my benefit, but also... Um, you know, some of the audience that might be listening, particularly some of the more newer sort of graduates or, or people in the data profession, what what is machine learning, um, I suppose, as a job? Like, what is it that you would be doing? Because they talk about saying they want to get into machine learning. And I know that machine learning is a big, big, um, uh, big one for analytics and strategy. But what, you know, when somebody says they want to do machine learning, I sometimes wonder if they actually know what it is. So can you explain? Yeah. Oh, sure. So typically this would be a data scientist or, yeah. you know, someone who's a modeling analyst doing uh, machine learning. Basically it's, you use the data and this is this has always been the case in traditional statistics. It's interesting on on how the the industry has positioned this role of a data scientist. It's using previous data to predict the future. And how machine learning comes into play is that rather than, you know, having one model and then constantly building another model each Mm -hmm. time, the model learns from the data and the mistakes that the the previous models have made Mm -hmm. to continuously refine. Wow. And that's probably as as simple, simple as, as I can put it. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's um and it's really interesting because you know, like you said, I think it you know there's a there's a lot of movement towards that space, and I think we'll see that sort of blow up and and certainly certainly evolve um, as as well. So thank you for sharing that. As I said, it was I was just keen to sort of you know hear it in the simplest term possible because it certainly helps me as well. Um, and then in terms of education, you know, again, with the industry moving so quickly, how do you keep yourself up to date and, and keep yourself, you know, current with, with what's going on? Yeah, look, this is an interesting one because a lot of people out there claim to be experts and there's a lot of material with this industry changing so quickly. Um, for me personally, I like to keep my networks fairly solid. I'm well I like to be well connected and I'm well connected to individuals that I trust and I trust their opinion. And look, we obviously in a commercial capacity, we won't share secrets and things like yeah. that, but of we can course, share yeah. can share trends, we can share kind of observations. And um, that's kind of one aspect that I like to do. The other thing is bringing in talent into your team that know things that you don't. Yeah. Yeah, so new graduates are learning things all the time. So they come with fresh ideas. Um, I really encourage my team. So I've got a um, a training platform that we've got licenses for and I encourage them to go. They've got time off in the week to go learn, upskill and bring it back to the team. Share yeah. your knowledge. Um, and I think ultimately it's having the learning mindset because within, like you say, the industry changes so fast, Rina, that... yeah. 
if you know you think you get into that comfort zone and you think, oh yeah, pretty fine, I know everything. Yeah. Very soon there'll be something that comes in and you just caught unaware. So it's it's having that continuous learning mindset that every day, okay, there's new ideas, keep your mind open, learn from other people. And yeah, that's how I try to to stay ahead of things. Yeah. Brilliant. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Um, look, it's it's great to um, to hear sort of, you know, what you've been through and, and sharing some of those insights. Um, I guess in terms of, and, and I was asked this question, you know, for those graduates that are coming in and people that are new to this profession, what would your one piece of advice be or golden nugget be for, for them, you know, coming in right now? Start somewhere. <laughs> you don't have to land the perfect yeah. role, but start yeah. somewhere. Um, get on the journey, start, even if it's, you know, an internship or something like that, where you get your foot in the door, start somewhere because if you immerse yourself in this industry, there are surely, you know, people, there are roles that come up all the time. Just get your foot in the door, start somewhere. And yeah, surely doors will open if you, you know, you put in your work hard, you seek those opportunities, they will come about. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Because I and I come across, you know, many graduates who are looking to get their get their foot in the door. And um, you know, it's great because a lot of clients are sort of taking that opportunity to bring, I think similarly to yourself, what you just touched on there is just that new fresh knowledge of, of some of the stuff that they're doing at uni now, which probably when, you know, when you did what you did, which may have been called BIS or, you know, business analytics or, or whatever it was called back in the day. Um, people, you know, students nowadays come with so much experience. They've already worked on real life kind of solutions. So, um, yeah, it's, they've, def- they've definitely got some good skills to bring. But look, thank you so much for, for your time, Divin. It was great catching up with you. And I, and I really look forward to sharing this. Um, and yeah, look, um, are you happy if anybody had any questions or anything like that? Are you happy for them to reach out and connect with you on LinkedIn? Yeah, 100%. Always willing to have a chat. Anything data related. I'm a bit of a geek when it comes yeah. to data. But yeah, by all means, reach out on LinkedIn. Excellent. Excellent. And just lastly, uh, you know, just before we jumped on um, the recording, you mentioned that you're sort of looking into this mentorship. Um, did you want to share a little bit more about that and, and that sort of initiative that that you're looking to be part of? Sure, sure. Um, so I'm working with an organization called Allies in Color. Um, they are all about positioning, um, you know, diversity and inclusion, especially in that kind of leadership, senior leadership level and providing mentor mentoring and mentorship for um, people that are up and coming in that kind of data analytics space or even yeah. more broadly. So Allies in Color is the organization. And yeah, if um, anyone's in that kind of realm, happy to, to have a chat as well. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, Rena. Appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks, Vivian.